This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You guys can have a seat. Awesome. So my name is Zach Meerkrebs, and um, I'm excited to be with you guys. Hey, brother. Um, one thing I'm really excited about is there's probably no other church um, that I pray for and are, great, is, are, are grateful for more than Commonwealth City Church. Um, one reason why I'm here is I have the joy of walking with Kurt and Andrew probably for the last five and a half, six years in deep accountability and prayer. And I want to share that with you, not to like flex as more, just to like share with you that you have two, two of your elders that I get to know very personally. I'm assuming the other elders walk this way as well, but two elders that I have a front row seat to their pursuit with Jesus and their hate of sin in their own lives, uh, and their pursuit of you guys in leading this church, and it is heroic. Uh, so I don't want to t- uh, miss the opportunity to give them a shout out and uh, to give them, um, yeah, you guys an opportunity to see kind of behind the scenes. But um, my wife and I live in Lexington. Um, I've been a church planner. Uh, most recently, I was working for a missions agency. Um, and then since February, uh, my life has changed quite a bit, uh, since an experience at Asbury University down the road. But my heart is for the Great Commission, not only because it's in God's Word, but because uh, I am just fully convinced that if we complete the Great Commission, we're starting off fast, if we complete the Great Commission, there is probable opportunity that Jesus will return, right? So as a community of believers, whether it's your first time at church, you've never been to church, or you've been to church for years, if I can just remind us that there is a day that we will hear trumpets, and everything that's scary and sad will go away, because Jesus has returned in glory. And there is an aspect of the Great Commission that that hastens the day of his return. Do you know that? I believe that. I do come from a a denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance, and the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, his name's A.B. Simpson, and he would finish his sermons with a declaration of bring back the king. So I pray that our posture would be just that. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom, a busy dad, a young family, figuring out being parents, whatever you are, Great Commission lifestyle is a part of following Jesus. It's not just the missionaries. It's not just people that are a little extra spicy on Jesus. Like It is a part of your discipleship. 
It is essentials. It's, it's some of Jesus' last words. And it's for everyone. And there's, I know there's people in this room that have great intentionality to get to church, great intentionality to be in community, great intentionality with their phones and their relationship with their phones, and they have great intentionality on how they're combating sin. And if we can just click up the notch a little bit on even more intentionality about reaching the lost and making disciples by the end of the day, that's a win. So if you are fierce for your purity on your phone, could we be a little bit more fierce about reaching the lost among the nations and closed access countries? Both matter. So my story is I grew up Orthodox Jew, and someone was bold enough to preach the gospel to me. After 16 years, I had not heard the gospel. I grew up in Colorado Springs, which is like Christian Mecca. Like, focus on the family. Raise your hand if you've been to focus on the family in Colorado Springs. And there's a big green slide, right? I grew up looking at that green slide, hoping that one day I would go down the green slide, and my mom would tell me, you can't go down that green slide because Jesus will catch you at the bottom of it. Like, I hadn't heard the gospel. That was what I thought Jesus was doing, was catching people on slides. I heard the gospel for the first time when I was 16. Like, I just... Wonder who's out there who's 16 years old that need to hear the gospel for the first time. That are 46, 56, 66, who have no gospel access. So I gave my life to Christ, and I just jumped in to mission. Because I tried to read the Bible as literally as possible, and I didn't really know the Bible that well, so I ended up at a Bible college, because that's what people do, right? And I got to that Bible college... And I was so disappointed and frustrated because there was people that were memorizing and studying the Greek, but they had not been friends with a lost person yet. They could exegete the living Torah out of Matthew 28, but they had not made a disciple yet. Now, I am all about exegesis. I'm all about the right teaching of God's word. I believe very strongly in this bad boy. This is really the only thing we got here on earth and the Holy Spirit inside of us. But sitting in classrooms, there was people that were more concerned about like Mountain Dew and pizza for their youth group than people in the unreached places around the world. Francis Chan, I don't know exactly how you feel about Francis Chan, but he's usually a pretty safe person to, to quote. He has an illustration uh, that I love. He says, when it comes to the Great Commission, we treat it uh, like this. Imagine if I looked at Eden, my six-year-old, uh, and said, Eden, clean your room. And she disappeared for a couple hours, and she came back, and I said, how's the room looking? And she's like, oh, I memorized exactly what you asked me to do about my room. I'm like, okay, but have you cleaned your room yet? She's like, no, but I can tell you what it is in Greek to clean your room. Okay, awesome, awesome. And she's like, Dad, chill out. I'm bringing some people over tonight. We're going to have, like, refreshments, and we're going to talk about cleaning rooms. Like, I just, if I can be so bold, like, that's not how I want to interact with the Great Commission. You got to clean your room if the Father's asking you to clean your room. We got to go and make disciples. 
which means evangelism, and then baptism, and then teaching them to obey all their commands. Would we not lean away from that, but go towards it? So let's pray, and then we're going to just go through this verse by verse. But first, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you have a covenant community here that has set aside time to worship you, to posture our hearts for you to confront us, confront our sin, confront our apathy, but also uh, to sit at your feet and be encouraged, encouraged by your word, be encouraged by community. I pray that that anything from Zach would be forgotten and fall to the ground like dust, but anything from your Holy Spirit speaking through the word of God would find fertile soil in the people's hearts and produce fruit, not just for their own lives and their families, but for, the, for their neighborhoods and their city and this country and the nations. So Jesus, would, would I and everyone here, hide behind the cross and just set our eyes on you. We love you. And we all said, amen. Awesome. So Mark 28, this is a, a last word of Jesus, right? This is right before he ascends to heaven. It says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching the, these new disciples to obey all my commands that I've given you. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the first thing that we want to dip our toes into is the fact that he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth. And I see this as, if you imagine the end of the couple months leading up to Jesus' death, when he starts turning the heat up, uh, oppression, um, attacks um, are getting heated up. He's starting to talk about going to the cross and dying more often. And then he dies on the cross, a brutal death, and then he's in the grave. Can you imagine how disorienting this is for the disciples? Just how shaken up they would be, right? Anytime things go differently than as I imagined, even though maybe someone gave me the heads up, like Jesus did give all of them the heads up, they were so disoriented and shaken up to the fact that some people had gone back fishing, some people went hiding, right? There's something beautiful when we've been disoriented by circumstances, when we hear an authoritative voice. You guys understand that? Like when you have been shaken or scared and you hear a voice that you know and you know that is in charge, there's something powerful about that. If you're a parent and your kids are having a meltdown or if they're scared or if they just need to be like refocused, there's something powerful in the voice of the one who has authority in their life. Would you guys agree? So in this disorientation of the cross, death, pushback, and resurrection, we hear the authority of Jesus. But not just the authority of Jesus after his resurrection, you hear about his authority throughout his ministries. Hebrews 1, testifying to his ministry, and what he's doing now says this, but in these last days, 
He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, an exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for his sins, this is the work on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is just talking about his authority. After he did the work to cleanse our sins, he is seated next to the Father, the majesty in heaven, operating in total authority. In your circumstances right now, whether you're thinking Great Commission or paying the bills, or if you're thinking Great Commission or how to love those wayward children, or you're thinking Great Commission and how I'm going to whatever, could we take a deep breath and just understand that he has authority? Mark 1, at the beginning of his ministry, says, they were all, Mark 1, 27, they were all amazed. This is amazing. So they debated among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. They could have said anything about Jesus in that moment. But they said, a new teaching with authority, he commanded even unclean spirits, and they obey him. I don't have the passage up here, but if you flip one more chapter, Mark 2 is when Jesus heals the paralytic lowered through the roof. You guys know that story? Right? And he, because he has authority, he reads the minds of the scribes and judges. Jesus senses what they're thinking. And then he says this, what's easier to forgive sins? Because that's what they were pushing back on. It's like, who's this guy to forgive sins? He says, what's, what's easier, to forgive sins or to have this paralyzed man stand up? In verse 10, it says, So that you might know the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's like talking to the Pharisees. Sorry, guys, you're going to be the Pharisees right now. He's like, so you get it? And he looks at this paralyzed man and says, can you take up your mat and get up? It's just a flex of authority, not out of pride, but to make a statement of like, you have no clue how much I'm in charge. This is Jesus' voice. So in verse 12, the man gets up and he walks out. When we think about the Great Commission and the Lord's lordship over our lives, I want to ask this question. If demons, Mark 1, 27, and paralyzed legs, Mark 2, and waves and sickness and death obey his authority, will we? If demons, paralyzed legs, later in the Gospels, Waves, sickness, death, obey to his authority, will we? So now we got authority next. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Just a good exegesis question. When you see therefore, what do we do? We ask why the therefore is, what is the therefore, therefore? He's saying, because I have all authority, therefore, I need you to do this. These are his famous last words. So we should listen. All authority in heaven, therefore, go and do this. It's just a connection to his authority. Then there's a question of, or a statement of go. 
I think he really actually means movement. I think he really means movement. And I know you might immediately be like, yeah, but I have a job and a family. That's, he knew all that. He knows that. But there's a catalytic going, a movement. You see this as geographical. Acts 1.8. Also, some might connect with the Great Commission. It uses geographical settings, right? Do you guys know that verse? Acts 1.8, verse 2, Jerusalem. Thank you. Right? That's geographical. And it's, if we're teaching the, the entirety of Scripture, we don't get to choose which geography, right? Because I have two kids that I get to parent, three kids that I get to uh, call mine, but two kids that are here. My wife has a career. Geographically, it is hard to live out the Great Commission. It is. In the same way that it's hard to hate our flesh. In the same way it's hard to be radically generous. It's hard fill in the blank, right? But that's why he says to pick up our cross. To live a cruciform life. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Luke 15, and it unpacks this uh, going message. He it's three parables. He says, it, the first one is the sheep, the next one is the coin, coin and, the la, and the last one are the sons, right? Some people call it the prodigal son. This is all mes- like a part of going. He's, he's preaching his entire message in preparation to giving this invitation to partner in his mission. He says, we'll leave the 99 to get the one. That's that sheep, right? We'll go and reorder our life, clean our whole house for the lost coin, and someone told me the other day, in nowhere in Scripture do we see God running, hurried, nervous. When he, the only time he runs is to the prodigal son. He's going off that porch. He's going off that land to see his son. Luke 15 talks about this going. If you want to study Luke 15 this week, it's one of the best passages, I think, when we're thinking about God's mission of how do we, how do we posture our lives like Luke 15 tells us. So when it comes to go, there's a couple options. We pray and go. We pray and send someone who's going. And then probably just a good idea is to pray more. And if, if it's to go, which I believe all of us are called to go, it might not be going to unreached people groups. It might not be, I don't know, but what would one step in going look like for you? One step more postured towards going. One more step out of your comfort zone. Working dads, stay-at-home moms, new couples, new parents, students. Whoever you are, what's one more step towards going? Uh, In college, I heard this song called God of Justice, it's like an old, it's an old song, uh, older song by a guy named Tim Hughes. And he sings this song, I remember listening to this song over and over and over again. This is not scripture, this is song lyrics. But I think about this often, we must go, live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken, we must go. Stepping forward, keep us from just singing, that's what Kurt was saying, right? 
move us into action, we must go. Or even these verses are the lyrics from the song we sang this morning. This missionary anthem, the harvest is ready, we have to go. We won't stop till the whole world knows. There's power in your blood to save every soul. We won't stop till the whole world knows. And then this beautiful uh, line that is quite itchy to sing sometimes is, I will preach the gospel, die and be forgotten as long as you get the glory. I have to be honest, like singing this song over my six-year-old daughter is not my favorite. It's like, but that is discipleship, right? When I'm thinking about retirement, when I'm thinking about career, when I'm thinking about the work I got to get done on school, I don't like singing this song. In the same way that sometimes the word of God confronts and we don't like it, how might we posture our hearts? Now, I do want to share this, these two quotes. A, a, a gentleman named Alan Briggs, who is a big part of me coming to the Lord, wrote this book called Stain is the New Going, which might sound like a total like left turn for me to use these quotes, but I just want to share this with you. If, if your geography really is right now Jerusalem and your neighborhood or your workplace, these are two... Uh, uh, verses that I would love, uh, not verses, uh, quotes, I would love to share. Stain is new going. It says, we must be aware of the danger of being all mission, right? So listening to everything I said, it was like saying, oh, it's unreached people groups. Unreached people groups. It's, it's the broken and lost and wherever. So we must be aware of the danger of being all mission and no incarnation. There's no, like, wherever we are, we're called to be incarnate Jesus there. The next one, in Scripture, it says to love our neighbors, not just the epic ones we pick, but the, the neighbors we actually have. At work, who is your actual neighbor? Not the ones that are easy. In your dorms, what are, who are your actual neighbor? Not the ones that are easy. In your home, I have a neighbor who, how old is he? What? Joe. 92, and one time he rose his voice at my wife, so I don't like loving that neighbor, but God tells me I'm supposed to love that neighbor, so if we're honest, I would much rather love my other neighbors, Biddy and Travis, but I actually have another neighbor that's actually way harder for me to love, but it is a part of my commissioned lifestyle, right? One thing I want to challenge us as well, working in a missions agency, we talk a lot about something called meaningful gospel presence. Have you guys heard about like gospel presence, missional presence, anyone? I know Andrew loves Jeff Vanderstelt, so you probably have heard about missional presence. We were finding in our missions agency that there was people that had spent millions of dollars, raised millions of dollars had sacrificed their lives to have meaningful gospel presence for 20 plus years and, had, and, and, and were, were just distraught that in their 20 years they had never had a meaningful gospel proclamation. Do you see the difference of presence and proclamation? The Great Commission calls us to proclaim, not just be present. So if I am, does this work, the microphone, if I walk around? We'll figure it out. 
if I am present, right, and I'm just like caring for, for Grammy Pammy's needs, right, like that's beautiful mission, right? But if I never talk to her about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I've missed the Great Commission. And I am afraid that the, the church of the West, the church in Lexington, the church in the United States, we're like, okay, we'll get really creative and grungy and organic to get missional presence. But then when it takes the turn to go proclamation, we're saying, man, we're present. We don't want to ruin presence. Does that make sense? But presence doesn't save people from eternity away from God. It's a step towards it. But it is not the proclamation of the best news. I was present with Christians for the first 16 years of my life until someone actually proclaimed the best news in the world. And it really did actually ruin my presence with that person for about six months. But the Holy Spirit, turning the soil of my heart, said, I got to pay attention to this. Would we trust the Holy Spirit is an evangelist way better than all of us? But we have to think not only presence, but proclamation. Amen? Missionaries are struggling a lot. Gen Z, young people. Gen Z, Barna Research just said that 68% of Gen Z think it's uh, unethical. Unethical, not like uncomfortable. Unethical to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and try to convince someone to believe in Jesus. Not uncomfortable, not awkward, unethical. How do we disciple the fullness of Great Commission? How am I doing on time? Kurt and Andrew aren't here. Perfect. Grady says I have plenty of time. Uh, I had this experience. There's a Coke picture. Boom. Uh, in college, I got to go on, on many trips. I took a year and a half off of school after I was frustrated, mostly out of probably pride, but some Holy Spirit maybe. And I was a missionary, and I was in a country and a place that had never heard the gospel. And we were preparing that evening to show the Jesus film. Has anyone seen the Jesus film? Yeah. And I remember climbing up on top of a hill and praying over the city and over the city who was about to hear the Jesus film, I was very spiritual and all of a sudden felt like I needed a Coke. Like, not spiritual at all, y'all. Like, I just wanted a Coke. I didn't want to, like, sacrifice. And, and, and I just wanted a cold Coke, right? But that would make no sense if I'm in rural whatever. This rural place, I'd never heard the gospel. It wouldn't make sense, right? Well, we get back into the village and there's literally a Coca-Cola fridge in the village. They had a cold Coke. This place had not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they had heard and tasted Coke. Someone had believed in Coca-Cola so much that they did all the logistics to get Coke to that place, but they had not heard the gospel yet. How might we prioritize it in new ways? So now we're going from mission to the next part. It says, and then go and make disciples. The reality of disciples is if we had 75, 100 people in the room, I don't know. We'd probably have 100 definitions of what is a disciple. Hopefully there would be similar, some overlap, but 
what would you say, right off the bat, my external processors, how would you define a disciple of Jesus Christ? Someone who imitates Jesus. Think, pray, and actions like Jesus. Okay, great definition. Yeah. Someone who hears his word and does them. Yeah, so hears, does, and replicates it, multiplies it. See, they're, they're alike, but it, it is hard to, to define. And I, I imagine Commonwealth City has a definition of discipleship. Like, this is who we desire to replicate coming out of this church. And I bet, because I know your leaders, it's very scriptural and worth listening to. But if I were to travel the world and ask people their definition of discipleship, it, there's a reality that each community expresses that a little different, though, in scripture. But it reveals the challenge of making disciples. Henry Nouwen, in a, in a book called The Great Omission, if you've read that, he says this, the greatest issue facing the world today will be with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians will actually become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of human existence. You guys get this. You guys are good cultural commentary. You guys understand your fears for your family. But it is worth giving you a heads up. You are being discipled. You are being discipled. And the people you love, the people that you care about in your workplace, in your family, where you live, they are also being discipled. It just doesn't mean that they're being discipled by Jesus. I, to this day, still are fighting my relationship with my phone. If we're all honest, right? So there's ways that that phone is discipling me. And even not even a bad thing, maybe it's a podcast or something that I love. Like I love listening to Practicing the Way and Rebuilders, these two great cultural commentary Christian leaders, John Mark Comer, Mark Sayers. But but I don't need to be a disciple of John Mark Comer. I need to be a disciple of Jesus. In the same way that you do not need to be a disciple of Andrew or Kurt or Commonwealth City Church. And if you're disappointed in them, you will be disappointed in them. Because <laughs> you're not made to be disciples of them. You're made to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And this community facilitates that process to the best of their ability. And what I would say pretty good. The world does not need cool Christians who are culturally saturated. It needs exiled disciples with the scent of heaven and the aroma of Christ, taught to obey all of his teachings. That's a John Piper quote. Shout out uh, reformed people. Um, guys, the commission is expressed not in terms of the means to proclaim the good news, but to the end, to make disciples. It is not enough that the nations hear the message. They also must respond with the same wholehearted commitment. 
which was required of those who became disciples of Jesus during his ministry. Richard Franks. Making disciples is not a prescription. It's not A plus B equals C. It's not arts and crafts. All of a sudden, you have a disciple. It's enrolling in an apprenticeship along the way. As you are being discipled or discipling others, it will be messy and it will require uncomfortable conversations and an openness to your life that is inconvenient. It is inconvenient. So, if you're like, okay, this guy uh, takes this too serious. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like just trying to figure out dinner tonight. I want us to pause and breathe. Okay, pause and breathe. Matthew 28, 16 and 17. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which he had designated. Could you imagine like how wobbly they felt? Like some of them probably sprinted up that mountain because they were going to see Jesus. Some of those people had wobbly knees and were like triggered. Right? They had gone up to the mountain. They probably were wondering, like, is Jesus going to lay the smack down because we all disappeared on this big day? When they saw him, they worshipped him. Beautiful. But some of them were doubtful. Doesn't that take the pressure off? Eleven went to Galilee to the mountain. They saw him and worshipped. Some doubted. They were very aware that Judas was gone. And they probably were aware of what Judas had done. Peter had already messed up and gone fishing and been reinstated to the Great Commission. Guys, these were doubting missionaries. They were tired and busy men. They didn't have all of what it took. They probably sacrificed quite a bit of their resources. Those who were worshiping Jesus, but some doubted they were even faking it. Some of us might be here today hearing the Great Commission and really feel a lot like those 11 men on that mountain. Doubting, tired, ill-resourced, spent, maybe faking it. And what did Jesus do still? Entrusted them with the mission of God on earth. Acts 4.13, later, they start doing mission, right? In Acts 4, 13, they say, these guys are just ordinary people who had been with Jesus. That's what the council says. Who here feels unremarkable? Who here feels tired? Who here doesn't know, like, how they're going to make ends meet? Who here knows, like, what am I going to do for a job? Who, whatever it is, I feel terribly unremarkable and ordinary. We're in good company. We're in good company. Because this is something, I think so many times, I don't know about you, maybe this is because I'm a, like I'm a, like mansplaining or being a dad. I'll hear like the directions, and then as soon as I hear the directions, I'll just go and do. Anyone like that? And I could just totally see in this picture, right? They say, go therefore, make disciples, baptize them. Uh, teach them, and then they're already like wanting to huddle up. Have, remember in school when you got like assigned a group project and you're already like making eyes across the room, like you and me are going to match up? 
and then you're already texting like, hey, I'll do the table of contents, you do the, right? And then the teacher has like the most important thing left. Does that make sense? Like when I tell Eden like, hey, I need to do this, this, and this, and she goes off to do it because she is wanting to get it done and, and, and love me by being obedient, whatever. And I'm like, no, I got one more thing. Like I'm going to take you out to ice cream after, you know? These disciples, I can just imagine, and so many times I've preached the Great Commission, lived out the Great Commission, and forgotten this very important thing. Be sure of this. I will be with you always to the end of the earth, end of the age. The crown of the Great Commission is promised presence. The crown of the Great Commission is promised presence. If you are a Great Commission disciple, then you are never alone. Is that good news? Even in this moment, when something is falling, hopefully like an itchy sweater on you, that you have to deal with it, you don't have to deal with it alone. So when you send your kids to school in a couple weeks, they are not alone. And you are not alone. When you head to work, they are not alone. You are not alone. If you're a Great Commission disciple, you are not alone. And this is good news for us. Uh, one back. Promise presence is best, is greater than perfect process. Some of you might be like me. We want to do it perfect. In disciple making, in being disciple. Promise presence is greater than perfect process. We see that in the book of Acts, right? They don't do it perfectly. Promise presence is greater than peace and protection. We see that throughout the early church, right? We see that with Paul and the martyrs, Stephen early in Acts. And promise presence is greater than profound impact. You don't have to leave here and change the world. You just have to leave here and be obedient to God's word. In Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. And be sure of this, you're not alone. Parents, students, young couples, new dads, employees, moms, be sure of this. He is with you. Be sure of this. Go and make disciples with Jesus by your side. I was so intimidated. I, I still struggle so much with intimidation of what God's asked my family and I to do. But I have to read that very point often. That wherever I go, I can be sure of this. He'll be with me, even to the end of the age. Christ's incarnation and missionary journey is a model and catalyst for our great commission. The only reason that we are on mission is because Jesus came on mission for you and me. And how we live missionally, just look at Jesus. He was never alone. He incarnate. He sacrificed. He was obeying what the Father was telling him. Christ's incarnation and missionary journey is a model and catalyst for our great commission. We are missionaries because Christ was the first missionary. This is the gospel, right? The greatest commission 
was in the throne room when the son said, wow, we love them so much, I'm going to leave the throne room and incarnate. That's the greatest commission. (laughs) The father sending the son because he so loved the world. So we get to live into that. So I'm going to pray and close. Uh, I don't know if Kurt is here. There he is. Uh, In communion, would we just remember as we take the body and the blood, the cracker and the juice, that his example, the very fact that he did let his body be broken and spill his blood, might that be an example for us to live as missionaries, to take the Great Commission serious. We can rest in the body and blood and we can take it as a model as we go out. So let's pray. And uh, as you're ready, you can come and take communion. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thanks for uh, your word. And Jesus, we just pray a simple prayer once again that anything that is unauthorized by you, Jesus, would it be forgotten in this instant? Anything from Zach or anything from uh, man's strength, uh, strategy or or woo, we just cancel that in the name of Jesus, would it be forgotten? But anything authorized by you and blessed by your spirit and preaching of the word, would it strike in our hearts? And we live just a step more as Great Commission disciples. So during this time, would you confront us and uh, compel us in these ways? We love you, Jesus. Amen.